Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. And welcome once again to the second part of Retro Redoctopus Cephala Podcast Video Game Horror Obscura Extravaganza. This is part two. Unprecedented moment in the history of the podcast. We were going on for so long that the first half of the episode ended up being over two hours long. And we said, God damn it, no, we can't do this to the people. We can't do this to the good Retroids of, of Retroidia. We can't do that. Where is that? I don't know. It's where, it's where the denizens are. Oh. But, you know, <laughs> what, I, what I can say is that we are here at part two, where, where All Hollow Steve and I are going to, mm-hmm. uh, to give you guys yes. our two picks for obscure horror video games, and talk about them, and smile, and laugh, and, and do the things that you guys like to listen to. So, without further ado, we're going to get right into it. As always, we're part of the Dorking and the New Art Podcast Networks. And we're brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Now, Parasite Steve, All Hollow Steve, would you like to go first or shall I go first? Um, I'll go first. I think, um, I think so. So we're just going to give the two picks we were going to originally give in the second half of the only episode that became a two-parter. So, uh, yeah, we'll just basically, I'll give one. 8-Bit will give one. I'll give one. 8-Bit will give one. And then we will play some commercials and um, I'll be back with a B segment that we withheld from last last Tentacle Yoink. Tuesday. So welcome to Tentacle Thursday. Where we wild out here. It's <laughs> my crazy. first my first pick of the two I will be delivering tonight is a game that uh, of the three that I chose counting the one from last week, which was vampire master vampire colon master of darkness. Um, I feel like this is the most obvious one. Certainly the most obvious for me. I've, I mean, you know, we've talked about it on the show and I definitely think that people uh, once considered this a hidden gem of the super Nintendo. And I think that at this point it's not really hidden anymore. But um, it is a game that I love dearly, and it is called Demon's Crest. Hell Released, yeah. hell yeah, definitely the best sprite work on the SNES, in my personal opinion. It's cool. Uh, released, Jesus. it is, and it's my sensibilities. So you know, everything's subjective. Released in 1994 for the SNES, Demon's Crest, known in Jap in Japan, known in Japan, Japan. 
Oh, Japan, right. As Demon's Blazon is a side-scrolling platform game developed and published by Capcom when Capcom was still freaking amazing. Oh, glory day, Capcom. It's actually the third game in a trilogy. Interestingly enough, this trilogy, um, every single entry was on a different system. It started with Gargoyle's Quest on the Game Boy, the original black and white creamed spinach Game Boy. Um, and then it went to Gargoyle's Quest 2 on the original Nintendo Entertainment System. And then we got Demon's Crest, which is essentially Gargoyle's Quest 3. Uh, on the SNES, on the Super Nintendo. Um, very, very fun, different series that's actually a spinoff of Ghouls and Ghosts, Ghosts and Goblins, whatever you want to call it. Um, yep. Because the main character, Firebrand, who is this red demon, he's known as Red Aramer in Japan. And uh, he is an enemy in the Ghosts and Goblins games. He's a beloved recurring enemy and he's um in the first level i believe he's like the first boss of the first game i'm pretty sure you come upon him and he's sitting down and he kind of takes to the sky and he flies and you just sort of fight him and then later that enemy becomes uh that boss becomes an enemy and there are you know more of them later and uh they spun him off into his own little series uh and the first the first Gargoyles quest and second Gargoyles quest are, um, oh, you know what? You know, I'm only, you know, I, I didn't go back to the original to, to check this, but for sure the, the second one is like partial RPG. So there's like a walking around map screen There's towns mm -hmm. you can go in and there's dialogue with people in the towns, just like a normal RPG, but you then go into levels and it turns into a side scrolling game. So in Demon's Crest, they removed that sort of stuff. Although there's some light RPG elements because while it is a, a side scrolling action platformer, um, you do collect things as you go, kind of like a Mega Man sort of a thing where, you know, you're um, adding to your arsenal and there's a pause screen where, you know, you can see what you have and select different items and whatnot. Uh, and that all ties into the game's plot, which I will recite for you thusly. The Thank game's uh, story revolves around the crests, not the infinity gems, certainly the crests, six magical stones, which preside over their respective elements fire earth water air time and heaven firebrand's main abilities uh are his breath his claws which he uses to cling on walls and his wings to hover in the air although he cannot gain height in his original form he can just kind of hover in place and you can move around kind of like the, the princess in mario 2 or something like that um but as you collect these crests, Firebrand can actually use them to transform and gain new powers that are specialized for combat and exploration. And that is really where this game opens up. I mean, <clears throat> the opening story to this game is incredible. The graphics are absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I mean, just the way the title screen appears, it's like yeah it, it's like fire and it's an incredible sound effect for the fire the sample that they got is it's just perfect 
and uh, like the background burns away and forms the the words to demon's crest i mean it's it's just incredibly well done but you know so you're like sort of dazzled and, and it's like oh yeah this is this is a firebrand game and as soon as you see him he looks he looks incredible in the old in the first two games he's very cutesy his proportions are very chibi and uh you know short short limbs big head kind of thing and i i love it i'm don't get me wrong uh nothing to fix there i love chibi firebrand but this is the like adult badass firebrand oh yeah. and it's his it's the best he's looked in my opinion uh he he's just perfect and um animated so well too his, his animation especially his wings my god it's so good uh but anyway so you're sort of dazzled by all this and you're like oh my god the backgrounds the enemies all these monsters you're fighting um firebrand himself he's just such a cool video game character to control but then later on you're like oh my god wait a minute you you end up getting the first first crest which is the ground gargoyle so that's the earth crest and um oh my god you, suddenly you can transform and it's like i was not expecting this like this is so cool so he um the ground he looks kind of the most like his original form um he just loses the wings completely he has no wings at all he can do like a charge move he can do stuff um sticking to the ground it is overall probably the lamest um but you know it is the first one you get so it should be he's um he goes from being like a reddish orange color to like a brown and uh that's the the ground and then all the other ones are just so incredibly cool and the designs are so different his face looks so different uh my favorite is the air gargoyle the aerial gargoyle mm -hmm. when you get the air crest and he basically just turns into a pterodactyl man he really he looks a lot like the x-men villain sauron except that he's blue instead of green um he's so awesome and this is the form where he can actually gain height when he's flying um oh my god i love the aerial gargoyle he is absolutely awesome um and then there is a water gargoyle and he looks very similar to like uh the creature from the black lagoon sort of a thing um he's got you know really really big fin on his back I very very cool him. love the title and this is the only form that you can swim in water uh and so for you know a lot of the game this is it you have you're gaining these four but if you um are able to get to the final the final level you get the legendary gargoyle and this is basically well so really this is more the one that looks the most like the original form i guess it's a palette swap he turns into like a uh like a pinkish color and um his wings get uh become golden instead of gray and they have spikes now you have a bunch of new spikes and horns and stuff but they really just altered that original graphic he's not that unique looking but he's just a cooler version of, of firebrand he's really really cool looking and uh, i remember him being really fantastic to use and i know that this game has a couple of endings you can do different things you know either you collect everything or you don't or whatever and there is a final i i can't really remember what you need to do to do it but there is a way to reach the final true boss um and you can get one more form which is 
just a palette swap of the ultimate gar of the legendary gargoyle. He's uh, called the ultimate gargoyle, and he uh, he's just like a he's like more of a purpley pink, like more of a fuchsia, and he's got like uh like like turquoise wings and accents, and I mean he looks he looks great. I, I looks prefer so this. Cool. I prefer that he's color like, scheme. He's but... like a NES NES Jason palette. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I don't really need to go on forever about this other than my God, I just, this, this game is so me. It's a jaw it's dropper. Just it's so cool, man. So me. It's like a monster game starring all monsters. It's not like a guy going to kill monsters or something. It's like, no, this is like every, he is one of the coolest monsters in the game and he's the main character. You, yep. you, you control a demon that uses his body the way you would think it would be used. You know, he can climb walls by, well, he clings to walls and you can kind of jump up and keep clinging to the wall. Uh, almost like, you know, Mega Man X, but Mega yep. Man X slides down the wall. That's the difference. Um, and you can shoot, you shoot fire out of your mouth. You breathe fire in all these games. That's his, that's his main attack. And even when you're perched on a wall, you can like, you know, shoot fire out of his mouth. Yep. It's just so great. Yep. Um, so, so great. Such a fun character to be. So for me, when I like, you know, if you say like, you know, your list of favorite video game characters, like as far as playable characters, um, to this day, I always think Firebrand, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like Samus, Firebrand, you know, you know, Link, Mario, whoever you're going to choose, Sonic, whoever you're going to choose, like whatever your personal list is. I'm always going to say Firebrand is on that list because I just cannot get over at yeah. least the one, two punch of NES Gargoyles quest two. And this one, I really didn't play the game boy because I didn't have a game boy. So I, I, I never really got to play the original uh, demons crest, but I've watched videos of it and it's very cute. It's, it looks great. I mean, like he is still is a very fun character to be. Even then he does all that same stuff. It just looks more cutesy cartoony. And this is just the, the freaking best version of it. As far as I'm concerned. Also, I just love his face in this game. I think after this uh, in, in video games, when he would appear sometimes in fighting games, I feel like they sort of shortened up his jaw all the way. Right. They, they kept his head. They kept his body. And he always has this really big pointy skull. And uh, they always kept that. But in in this game, he more has like a, a longer like muzzle. Um, yep. And I just I kind of like Beta Ray Bill a little like, yeah, he looks a little bit like Beta Ray Bill. Like this is my favorite look for the character. I just I just adore it. So and and the. um the box art of both games is just staggeringly good. This, the, I mean, so I say both games, what I mean is uh, both releases of Demon's Crest. Staggeringly good. My God. And I mean, honestly, the NES Gargoyles Quest 2 is, I, I've said this for years, is one of my favorite box arts on the NES. It is never mentioned as like a great thing ever. But I mean, look it up. The Gargoyles Quest 2 box is incredibly good. But holy crap, if you look up Demon's Crest for the Super NES, look at that box. It's like this incredible, highly detailed, very scary looking version of, of 
uh, Firebrand, very well rendered painting. And then if you look up the Japanese release of Demons Blazon, which is the word is B L A Z O N, Blazon. Yeah. And yep. I'm not quite sure why that's the word, but uh, I I almost prefer this this painting. I mean, the Super Famicom boxes were oriented the other way. They were tall instead of horizontal. So they were vertical. So these uh, this is like a, a picture of him, a firebrand at the bottom, kind of like spreading his wings, getting struck by lightning. And there's this big pit of energy and hellfire and whatever. And all around there, you almost like don't even see it until you get up close to it. There's all these like dead bodies and skulls and stuff just making up the foreground and there's this big swirling vortex behind him i mean it's it's like incredible it's an incredible yeah. box and they both are they are both so different and i love them for different reasons um what a high quality game what a high yeah. quality. i like just i i wish that uh you know when you talk about games and series and characters that you wish that would come back like we were saying with splatterhouse last time and there's so many um i mean for me i'm always just just wishing that capcom would do something real with fire i know man i mean they 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 keep this character farting around and like random stuff like you know they had him in uh marvel versus capcom infinite and they even gave him like the ultimate gargoyle costume and um, he was in the I don't know some some other fighter and and stuff like that. I mean, he was way way back. Uh, SVC Chaos SNK yeah, versus remember. Capcom. He was a, a amazing sprite uh, yeah. in in that fighter. Oh my god, what a graphic! Um, but yeah, it's a shame that the Demon's Crest has not come back around. I mean, they did a revival of Ghosts and Goblins not too too long ago, and uh, that went pretty well. I think people like that, but I would love to see uh, a new a new take at Demon's Crest. Um, also, uh, the game is called Demon's Blazon because Blazon is uh, in heraldry, a term that is a formal description for a coat of arms, flag, or a similar emblem. I never knew that. Okay, cool. Yep. Learn something new every today. Every today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember when we found this game and, and played it, it just felt like, you know, it was buried treasure. It was like, this truly yeah. felt like, my God, I how never played this game, you know? Right. I played it when it came out because a friend had it, but it was like one of these things that like one friend brought it over like once or twice. I got to play it a little bit and it was, it never left my brain really, but I never owned it. Mm. So you never really got to play it. And no. it was it was more like than I, I emulated it or something. But I did end up buying a copy. We did find it for the Super Nintendo. I know we own it yep. in the box and everything. We got it complete in box. I want to say it was at a, a eBay. I think it was like a cheap eBay auction. Yeah, well, I mean, it would have been. In the, it would have probably been in the '90s at that point. So I, you know, this is before everything got ridiculously expensive. I mean, I don't know what the game's worth anyway, but um but yeah Oof, man this one's a big one so it was it's to me it feels obvious i don't know if it's as obvious as i feel it is but um there you go demon's crest for the super nintendo an amazing game that um definitely i don't know how hidden of a treasure it is but it's certainly a treasure and it glitters like gold in my mind damn right it does man and i i think i played through it a couple years ago i think it was um during the start of covid and i just was feeling like playing you know 
something in the Halloween spirit. And I, I played through Demon's Crest and, um, you know, I just kind of, I played it without a walkthrough. I just kind of played it naturally. And I, you know, I, I got probably, I think the worst ending, you know, like I, I just, the natural way to go through the game just kind of resulted in me beating it and then just sort of ended. And it's like, oh man, you know, there were so many, there was a few forms I didn't even get and a bunch of bosses and stuff I never saw. Um, and, uh, the other thing that I loved in the game was that you had the, the, the mode seven flying, you would fly around the world map yes. in mode seven and, you know, you'd soar over these towns yeah, and then it's you'd like swoop down crazy. to go into it. Uh, I mean, they was, they were just showing off. Honestly, this game was Capcom showing off mm -hmm. and being like, we mm -hmm. are, we are a big freaking power here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, the, the, the traveling around was cool. And I also liked the town, um, there was a town and there were some vendors and stuff that you could go to and you could buy upgrades. You could buy some single use items. You had an So inventory. that was like a Simon's Quest town. So yeah. it's still it was still the um the side scrolling type game, but you know, you could go into doors and stuff like right, that. Right. Right. It wasn't like an RPG looking right. at all. Whereas the previous games, at least the was previous like, game looked like Final Fantasy, you know. Was like a Final Fantasy. Yeah, Gargoyles Quest 2 is just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, I really liked those elements. Just added so much to the game. Having little town mm -hmm. segments, the over, the overworld map, being able to revisit old levels to mm -hmm. find stuff you missed. Yeah, being able to yep. revisit old levels to use new gargoyle forms to accomplish stuff that you couldn't do. Like you know, oh, I got the aquatic form. Now I can go back to level one and I can swim in that area that had the water. And you know, it's like there's stuff to find. I love um, that kind of stuff. I love so, backtracking with new abilities so much yeah, in general. Yeah. It really makes the world feel so much more significant than just level one, level two. Yeah. Um, it's so I mean, great. The, the first boss is the, I mean, it's like the training boss. It's kind of a bummer. It's, it's, so, it's so throwaway, but oh my God, you fight this zombie dragon that is actually a living dragon in the opening story that firebrand has already defeated and now you're you're literally fighting his reanimated corpse and it is like this giant size of the screen freaking amazing dragon but he's like his flesh is rotting off his bones and hanging and i mean it is just one of the gnarliest freaking things on the super nintendo that yep. that first boss that dragon holy crap it I seriously know. could have been like the last boss mm -hmm. it's the coolest boss in the entire game it's it such is. a bummer that they just throw it in there as like the you know there's always that easy training mega man x yep. big boss that's so easy it's yeah. like that yeah yep yep definitely oh man love love it love it love it awesome great pick um yeah. So, uh, so yeah. In case you guys weren't sure, uh, that game is currently available on the Nintendo Switch uh, online Super Nintendo Virtual Console as well. So while you're while you're there already playing Psycho Dream, like I know you will be, um, you can also play Demon's Crest um, because if you listen to Part One, you would know that you should already be on there playing Psycho Dream because it's pretty. It's pretty. <laughs> this cool. is the better choice, though. This is the this is the better choice, but. You also chronologically would be all like, oh, I have to yeah. play this game because you just recommended it. And then by the time I do you're everything, two, but tells me to do it. everything is there every time. Um, <clears throat> so, yep. So that's great. Oh, I'm Which, glad we got uh, more, more uh, Brothers Chaps in this episode. That's really good. <laughs> uh, that wasn't even full strong bad either. That was just like silly voice. Um, 
but yeah, I'm just glad that this game has a really easy way to play it. Uh, that's yes, what matters agree. the yeah. most. Play mm -hmm. this game. I'm so glad that Capcom and Nintendo were able to make that happen for uh, for the game. Uh, mm -hmm. So anyway, Great. pretty cool. So moving to my first pick, uh, this is a game that I only learned about in the last few years, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about how goddamn cool it seems, and I really just wanted to talk about it. Uh, so this game is called La Place No Ma. Uh, La Place No Ma, also known as Rapurasu No Ma, literally La Place's Demon, is a Japanese video game from 1987 that came out for the NEC PC-8801 and the PC-9801. The game was also later ported to the Sharp X68000, the MSX, the TurboGrafx CD, and the port I will be talking about, which is the Super Nintendo or Super Famicom. Um, it is considered the first part of a Ghost Hunter Dungeon Crawler series, um, which also includes Kurokishi no Kamen for the 3DO and Paracelsus no Makin for the NEC PC Engine. I no could not find Mackin. I could not find anything about those games, so uh, I don't know. Take my word for it. La place, there is no Mackin. There's no, there's there's no Mackin. None. Don't don't go Mackin my heart. No, I don't know. I wouldn't if I tried. Uh, so La Place No Ma. This game takes considerable inspiration from Call of Cthulhu, the tabletop role-playing game. Uh, the story pertains to a string of child murders and disappearances that haunt the dreary Massachusetts town of Newcomb, modeled after the fictional city of Arkham created by H.P. Lovecraft. The horror aspects of this game lie heavily in the exploration of the fictional Weathertop Mansion whose owner dabbled in black magic. Um, children are being lured there. They're being sacrificed. Bad things are happening. It's, uh, it's a whole problem for, for Nukem. Uh, there is no Duke of Nukem, though. Oh, which no. Is a missed opportunity. Uh, I feel like there should be. Um, but upon starting La Place Noma, you're asked to assemble a group of adventurers. You are able to choose from characters that all have real-world classes and jobs that you talk to at the local speakeasy. Now, what I should preface all this by saying is this is a horror turn-based RPG. This is a horror, scary dragon quest. This is a macabre Final Fantasy. And the graphics are excellent on the Super Nintendo. And the whole concept of this just interests the shit out of me i want to play this game so bad it only came out in japan but it did get an it did get a really good uh fan translation so i would i i you know you can look up into how to patch games and all this other stuff out there but i i blah i want to play this game so bad uh but anyway so you uh you set up a, a group of adventurers uh, you can choose from a variety of different characters and uh, and different classes. So there are detectives. The detectives act as the game's frontline brutes, for instance, dispatching enemies with guns and fists, uh, while there's scientists that utilize spirit machines that can be customized to examine monsters, deal damage, or buff and heal allies. There are the journalists who come with a variety of skills. They are relatively weak in combat, but they have a unique ability where instead of a weapon, they can equip a camera. And the journalist's main attack command in battle will be replaced with the option to take a picture of an enemy. Now, you might be asking, why the hell would I do that? Just punch why it. Why the hell would you do that? Just punch it. 
right? Fair ask. So the reason why you do that is because you can go back to town and you can sell the photographs that you take of the individual monsters for big money. Um, and what's neat is that you take the photo and sometimes they come out blurry. Sometimes they don't develop at all. Sometimes they come out super clear. So there's a little bit of randomness and the better camera that you buy for the journalist, the higher your likelihood of getting a good picture is. Um, and uh, yeah, it's one of the best ways to make money and to be able to buy stuff that you need. Uh, you need to buy film in order to take the photos. So it's another consumable uh, that, to keep track of. But I think that's such a cool idea. It's a great concept to have a character that's really not meant to be fighting, but it's meant to be just providing support by giving you a great cash flow so you can get you know, better equipment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, really neat. Uh, there's also mediums that act mm-hmm. as a support mage spellcaster hybrid, and they have spells that are able to affect uh, spirit monsters, which are otherwise unharmable by physical weaponry. Um, so every so often you'll find enemies that you'll you'll need to use some kind of spell on in order to hurt them. So the medium is good for that. And then there's also, uh, depending on the translation, the dabbler or the dilettante, uh, which are just generic all-round type characters that can perform some of everything. They are a master of none. Uh, and, and that's basically what you have access to. So you go into the local speakeasy, you talk to all these people, they all, you know, either join you if you ask right away, or they'll go back to the hotel and then you can kind of build your party however you see fit. Uh, the town of Newcomb has a bunch of different locations that you can go. You can go to the hotel, which is for healing and selling photos, and then also changing up your party. Uh, you can go to the hospital for reviving dead allies. There's a dry goods store for stocking up on items, most importantly being the film that you need for pictures, bullets, which you have to have to shoot stuff, and healing items. There's a fortune teller for getting hints. There is a psychic medium for learning new spells for the medium class. There's a library full of lore and information. You can also revisit the speakeasy to get side quests and information from people about things that you should be tracking down inside the final location, which is the Weathertop Mansion. So when you select the Weathertop Mansion from the map screen, uh, you enter it and uh, you kind of get this Oh, you know, everything as you're walking around has this overhead perspective, you know, like classic RPGs do. Um, Your characters all walk around as a group. And the music that's in the town is all very happy and, you know, whatever. And then when you enter Weathertop Mansion, it's... It's all, you know, trying to be super scary and shit. So um, (laughs) you, you go in there, you creep around from room to room. And really, what I will say about this game is that, you know, it's an RPG. The gameplay, you either love it or you hate it. You know, there's not going to be something in here that's going to totally change your mind about RPGs. Um, but I will say that what the game's strongest suit is, is the story. Um, the storytelling and what you uncover as you go. I've honestly tried not to read a lot about it because I want to experience it organically. So I'm not going to come to, I'm not going to be able to tell you all about the story that goes on in the game because frankly, I don't know it. Um, but you um, you explore the Weathertop Mansion, you learn more about the goings-on there, you take information back to town, you talk to NPCs, you further dialogue and get you know new missions, open up new parts of Weathertop Mansion, yada yada, find keys, all that good stuff. Um, 
so you know it's it's cool that it's a mystery that you're unraveling and it's all centering around this one place it's really fascinating that it is a hp lovecraft inspired turn-based rpg um yeah. on all the other on all the other console ports it uh was it was portrayed from a first person perspective so all of the exploration was done like dungeon crawler style where you know you press up to move down the hallway or turn left or right to you know rotate your perspective and then move forward if you've ever played the original fantasy star or uh some of the early shin megami tensei or persona games uh i'm trying to think of some other ones that are like common that people would know uh but yeah so i mean the super nintendo one is the only version that is presented like a top-down rpg akin to something like you know final fantasy 6 um and uh and it's just it's really got a unique look i mean all the enemies that you run into are very well depicted great graphics um just cool scary designs you know creepy monsters and just uh you know a real sense of of danger you know because if anything bad happens to your characters they can die and you know you'd have to go back and recruit another person or or whatever um so there, there's a good amount of you know that that kind of sense of, of danger um and uh and one one aspect of the combat uh that is unique is that there is uh each character has a super move um so basically like final fantasy 7 where your characters build up a gauge and they could do a limit break uh mm-hmm. your characters have the same exact thing every class has their own unique limit break um that fills up the bar over time and then you can cash it in when you need to uh there's some kind of neat strategies i've seen of people playing it and fighting bosses over and over again and taking pictures and then going and selling as many of the boss pictures as possible because even though they're the most risky and probably the most dangerous to not be continuously attacking they're worth the most money if you develop a picture of them so hmm. it's like kind of cool to try and do that um i don't know if there's a compendium of photos that you take that would be really cool but i'm not sure about that oh they come um, back and like look yeah and the ones you turned in yeah i would love that if that was the case but i'm not honestly sure um but yeah laplace noma is a, a super interesting game to me and i honestly just can't wait to be able to set aside time to try and sit down and play it mm. but um unfortunately there is no great easy way to play this it isn't on switch there is no easy re-release there's no official english version um but uh romhacking.net is a great resource for people who are looking for uh homebrews and english patches of games that have never come out here um people who are interested in that you can look at romhacking.net and they have lots of great instructional tutorials about how to how to do everything you're trying to do um but uh yeah i mean this one for me was was getting really obscure and and same with psycho dream and i wanted to at least highlight it because it's just it's just so cool it took horror in a direction that i haven't seen it before uh the closest i've seen to like a horror turn-based rpg would probably be shin megami tensei in the persona games which for those who know super huge series probably could have done a whole episode on them but um honestly most of them were only in japan so i can't really talk about all of them uh but uh you know those games definitely have a lot of demons and stuff like that some horror elements for sure but i I loved what this game was doing and uh and check it out there's some good good gameplay videos on youtube of it and uh you'll get to kind of see what it's all about but uh yeah i mean that's that's kind of the extent of of what i what i can talk about it Hmm. 
Nice. Yeah. This is a game that uh, it does remind me of, you know, Sweet Home in that it's this really cool Japanese horror RPG yep. that like we never got. I'd love to try. I'm so happy we were able to get to play Sweet Home. Also worth mentioning in this episode. Definitely a, an obscure game. We did do a crow's nest on it uh, a couple of years ago, maybe last year. No, so you can definitely go back and and check out our old episodes. But we did a really fun episode on on Sweet Home. I actually really really loved that episode. Me too. Um, and doing it was it was really fun because we played the game together. You know, from start to finish, for the first time, like both of us. Yeah. And it was a great it was a great English patch. It was really really great. But yeah, I would love to do that with Laplace Noma. And I have heard of it, and and the graphics are really really cool. Um, yeah. I would love to try it for sure if I could actually I do, read it. I do realize that I I just kind of woefully skipped over just some kind of basic information that um it was it was developed by uh, Hummingbird Software originally and Human Entertainment for the TurboGrafx CD, but uh, the Super Nintendo version was handled by Vic Takai, which oh. I always think sounds like one of the two hosts of Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. That would be Kenny Blankenshek and, and uh, Vic Romano. Vic Romano, definitely. but Vic Takai, like it's got that Japanese sound to it. Just, I always think <laughs> so. Vic Takai is that is that the Ernest Evans company? The... Um, so Vic Takai worked on Clash of Demon Head. Oh, okay. they uh, they did um, Decap we Attack. Have, we have another great Crow's Nest, uh, all about um, Clash of Demon Head. Yeah, we do. That was another. That was another really fun one. What was uh? What was Tom's name? Tom. Tom Guycott. Tom Guycott. The fucking skeleton son of a bitch. You old son of a bitch. You old so and so. Yeah. Um. Man, that that game was honestly just like super funny, <laughs> rosy yeah. like memory of just playing through it and like the sheer preposterously stupidness of it <laughs> yeah i no, love i just good. love it i love it to think great, about it yeah um yeah i don't know victor kai's just done like some really kind of random stuff i mean the big okay. ones i think what you would know is uh you know decap attack and and uh and the one i just said there clash of demon head mm. uh but anyway right uh yeah so i mean there was just like some kind of basic stuff it, uh, the mm. super nintendo version came out in 1995 uh, and the first version came out in 1987. So, I mean, that that's kind of wow. wild. You know, over yeah. eight years, it was still getting ports. Uh, and then it, it was apparently part of a trilogy, but I just really couldn't find much information about the other two games. Mm. Um, but either way, doesn't matter. Super Nintendo was pretty cool. Nice. Well, uh, before I go into my last pick of the evening, I'll just run down a list of some uh, some honorable mentions, just kind of off the top of my head. Because really, this truly is such an, a topic that we're just passionate about. We always have loved you know, horror and we've always loved video games. And so this is just like, you know, it's it is tough to keep it short. That's why I think, you know, this turned into a, a two parter. But, you know, um, you know, Nintendo wasn't able to be part of this, but he was going to pick some a couple of good games. Uh, yeah. One of his one of his picks was uh, the game D, which was a. Uh, PC game and that came out in the late 90s uh, we talked about it he he did already talk about it in the point and click epi episode if you want to go back um, 
and check out that point and click adventure game episode. I can't remember yep. the title. Do you remember the title of that one? It's like oh, it was, it was like a before and after. It was a, it was a, a, that's I think it's called get the point and click or something get like the point that. And click. I could something that. like that. But it's a it's a fun episode all about just you know point and click adventure games. Um, so the game D was a very creepy game, very atmospheric. Uh, just a girl trying to you know get through a, ha- a haunted house basically and try to find her dad. Really cool game. He was also going to pick an absolute classic. We've talked about it on the show many times before, but my God, we can't not mention Monster Party for the NES. Hell yeah. Yep. I mean, I mean, Monster Party for the NES. What a freaking weird game that is. That is, I mean, it's not like a great game per se. It's just but like, it's great because of how weird it is. It is truly one of the weirdest, like most notable oddities on the NES. Yep, known um, as Parody World in Japan, it really just chalked a block full of just random goofs, gags, parodies, bizarre things, stuff you haven't seen, subverted yep. expectations. It just, yep. it really went wild. It's Another such a really fun thing. character to be. I mean, like, you know, you're just, you start out and you're just this dopey kid and he's got a baseball bat. Nothing really cool about him, although... His baseball bat had a really cool mechanic, which wasn't prevalent a lot on the NES, which was he could actually uh, he could hit enemy projectiles back at them. That yep. was very cool. That felt really great. And you could you know, it was kind of hard, but you could master it. But then he could turn into an amazing character, this alien bird monster character called Bert. And he um he could fly and he could shoot lasers and i mean awesome one of the coolest yeah. characters you could you could control on the on the nes in my opinion i just, i adored in the same way that i love firebrand it's like bert is the shit yeah he um, is lots of really fun very out there goofy weird um cinematics as well like in the beginning and the ending anyway uh really cool game very and and honestly some surprising horror like there are levels, you know, that gets, you know, there's a thing that happens in the first level where like already the freaking world is kind of made out of these like heads and stuff. But yep. then like something happens and it all gets suddenly scary and the music changes and everything gets bloody and dark and gross and all the heads turn into like zombie heads. And uh, I mean, skulls would have been cool, too. But it's like, no, they're like, no, we're going to show the rotting strips of flesh. We're going to do that. This is happening. And um, anyway, just so Monster Party is uh, is it needs you know, to be I, mentioned. Tonight. I kind of forget how gory that that first screen transition is. Like I remember in in part one, I did say that Majora's Mask was like you know one of the first games that really scared the crap out of me. But like that cha- that transition in Monster Party actually might really be the first one because it was so unexpected. I didn't I didn't yeah. know I didn't know what I was getting into. Like the mm-hmm. first time I popped it in, it was just one that we had or we're borrowing from Joe or something. Yeah. And yeah, when you just hit that random part and the whole world flashes really violently and then like the trees start to become dead and rotted and bloody and all the sc- all the heads on the ground go from happy heads to being like all these rotted zombie heads and shit. It's like, mm-hmm. whoa. Right. That was scary. That was like a yeah. really random scare. It was scare. so unnecessary, honestly. So unnecessary. Like I said, it's already like there's already heads all over the place. I mean, there's already stuff. Now, like it went from like happy Pleasantville to 
you know, to Gortown, it's like, no, it just got worse. <laughs> like, yeah. And the music got much scarier. Yeah. But anyway, so that's Monster Party. Um, also, you know, a game I was considering presenting, um, you know, I'm a big Shadowgate fan. That could also be a horror game. You could call that a, you know, a dark fantasy or a horror game. Um, that's also covered in, you know, our point and click episode, but, uh, a game that never gets talked about is Shadowgate 64. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is a great game. That is never a really fun, about. really fun game. You know, maybe we can talk about it in the future, but it's a, it's a creepy atmospheric first person walking around. Like it's a first person shooter. Only it's like an adventure game. And it's really like, it's like essentially a point and click only it's everything's done just with the just with you as a first person character walking around and you you know you can you have a reticle and you can click on different things and stuff so it doesn't really work like the original Shadowgate it's kind of just it's honestly it's a lot more playable than the original is and uh, I mean yeah it has the you know clunky ugly N64 graphics that didn't age well like all the games on the system but um, but I mean that is unfortunately the bummer for that system. I think it just aged so poorly just because they just the nature of how it looks, but this game was great and it played really well. And every review that you look up basically on YouTube says the same exact thing. Nobody talks about this game and there's no good reason for it. It's just that nobody played it and nobody really remembers it, but it's a great game. It, holds up to this day so shadowgate 64 is really cool you know maybe someday we'll do a deeper dive i'd love to play it again some somehow honestly that'd be really cool um yeah but i mean there's so many also just a brief mention you know we we we, we talked about dodging castlevania in in the first segment of this on tentacle tuesday now that it's tentacle thursday i i can't not mention it at all um do it I mean, like the legacy of Kane games, the Soul Reaver games, the all oh those games. God, I, yeah. I, I mean, they're they're some of my favorite games. They're horror, but they're also dark fantasy. I mean, they're they're horror by way of epic fantasy. They're like epic dark fantasy, is what I would call them. They are the the world building's immense. It's so incredible. The characters are incredible. The voice acting is incredible. The, there's you know a handful of games that came out you know in a relatively short amount of time and then that was that uh they all stopped but the reason i didn't want to pick any of those for this episode to talk about is because um it's been uh one of our retroids alice has expressed interest in uh coming on the show and doing an episode on legacy of kane so i think we'll either do a crow's nest at some point or maybe we'll you know if if we can figure out a way to structure a whole episode around it Maybe we'll do that. It's probably going to be a crow's nest, but I'm going to try to fit that into next season, season six at some point and uh, have Alice Scott on who uh, who's just a huge fan. In fact, her first tattoo I think she ever got was the was Kane's um, emblem, his blazon. I'm sure there you go. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh his his uh insignia was is is on her arm i believe she has it really really cool so she's a big fan so i i'd like to do that at some point in the future but it's like oh man you know i just can't not mention it at all those games are just so incredible um so anyway all that said um my true uh final pick for the episode is a game that i loved so very much the year it came out um in fact when i played this game i i thought it was the best game on the system i 
I mean, it's just I haven't played it in so long, but I did watch a bunch of videos. I don't have any easy way of playing it, unfortunately, anymore. But um, it is a game that I loved enough to when we were coming up with goofy X-Men cartoon names to name ourselves with uh, for this show way back in 2014 when we were coming up with the idea of it. Uh, which is pretty freaking insane because that was nine years ago. Like, honestly, yeah, nine years ago um, when we were just in Nintendo's basement uh, with boss rush mode and it was the four of us and we were just kind of recording on like two mics that we just plugged in and we didn't know how to release anything as a podcast or anything like that. <laughs> we, we were just starting the idea of it back in back in the day. But I was like, you know, Nintendo came out like right away. He's like, I'm going to be Nintendo. Awesome. Perfect. And then, you know, 8-Bit Alchemy, you came up with your name. Boss Rush Mode had already had his. And I was like, I don't know. I don't really have a video game name. But, you know, it's like, you know, I, I always play with the, the the different nicknames that go with Steve, like All Hallow Steve and Steve of Destruction. And most of them are just changing the word the word eve and eve becomes steve easily and uh and then it's you know one of my fake nicknames or whatever um but truly my main one is of course parasite steve and you know parasite eve man parasite eve came out in 1998 yeah, for buddy. the ps1 um it is an awesome game it is an awesome sure game is. that i really love and i honestly believe is like a perfect example of trying something different, like gameplay wise, that nobody ever did again. And for the combat system anyway, truly unique, truly fun. I remember picking this up and being like instantly in love with the combat. It took no time for me to like slag, slug, sludge. What's the word I'm looking for? Slog. It wasn't a slog. It wasn't a. I knew it wasn't one of the Dinobots. It was one that's not a Dinobot. Slag. Slog. Slog could be the Ankylosaurus if you want. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so it's, it wasn't a slog to learn. Like it just, you picked it up, you instantly got it. It just made sense. It felt good. It removed some of the boringness of turn-based battles. But um, I'll get I'll get to all that. So this was actually it's a cinematic RPG developed and published by Squaresoft. So cinematic RPG is a term that I came across in the research for this. I don't know if it's truly an industry term or not, but it's basically, you know, meaning those games like FF7 um, with the pre-rendered backgrounds that everything just is meant to look like a movie to the down to like their you know, because every screen has a fixed camera and the backgrounds are not actually moving with you, you move in the backgrounds. It's it's as if this is a director, you know, framing the shot. So yep. every, which is truly what happens. So like they are literally framing every single shot of this game with the director's eye with a like a, you know, cinematic eye. So I really like that term, that cinematic RPG. I think that's a really apt um appropriate term but anyway uh the game is actually a sequel to a novel um it's also named parasite eve it was written by not parapsychologist but a pharmacologist whose name is Aww. hideaki sina and 
this, <laughs> not <laughs> different Cena. This one you can oh. see. Oh, you, you can, can see, see this. Not. You can see him. Uh, and it was actually Squaresoft's very first M-rated game. Whoa. Uh, and holy shit, did they not hold back? Oh, my no. God. For fuck's sake, man. I mean, those. the people who remember this Whew. game remember the cinematics. I mean, yeah. oh, my God. You were talking, you know, I mentioned the the thing, the movie The Thing earlier. Um, because some of the, the enemies and the bosses in Splatterhouse kind of remind me of that sort of a thing, that sort of body horror thing. Oh my God, this is body horror to the nth degree. They take, you know, animals and people and just mutate the hell out of them in the most horrifying ways, like the skin peels off and the body bisects and, and like curls away and does something else and things grow in its place and i mean none of these transformations are like just you know a, a, a person becoming a wolf or something where the body changes and elongates no no this is like you get eviscerated mm -hmm. this is like a more of a hellraiser of it yeah it's this really is like a hellraiser yes. cenobite type of transformation for everything yep. and um and i think people remember the cinematic of the rat it's the very first enemy that you encounter very very early in the game and oh my god this rat just tr just transforms and it's just oh my god it is just nuts you just got to see it you can look up parasite eve rat and find it instantly um but gameplay has been described uh rightfully so i would say as a hybrid of final fantasy 7 and resident evil but it's still very unique so um unlike resident evil you do not have tank controls um Weirdly, in Parasite Eve 2, which has very little to do with Parasite Eve 1, has a totally different battling system and a totally different control scheme because they added tank controls to Parasite Eve 2. The first one does not have it. You just walk around, you press a direction, that's the direction they go. That is how I like it. I can't stand tank controls. It stopped me from playing all the original Resident Evil games and the Tomb Raiders. And I'm sorry. I hate it. So whatever. Um, so this uh, this is nothing like that, but it does have the pre-rendered, as I said, level graphics of Final Fantasy VII. As so as you're walking around, you know everything looks amazing. Really has that late '90s look, um, that late '90s SquareSoft look. Um, so I, I mentioned the uh, the the battle system. So I'll, let's get back to that. So the battling system. Basically, you have a uh, one of the buttons opens up this like it makes like a wireframe dome around you. And depending on what weapon you have, because there are there's a lot of weapon and armor crafting in this game and it's fun. It's really cool. Every weapon has, you know, they're all guns, um, but they have like all sorts of different stats, you know, with how many rounds it holds. Uh, what the reload rate is, um, you know, obviously the strength and all that kind of stuff. But so depending on what your range is, it, the dome, the wireframe dome will be a different size. Um, if you have something like a, a long range sniper rifle, it could be the size of the whole damn screen. If you have something like a pistol, you know, it's going to be much smaller. But you can walk around anywhere at all times. So when you run into an enemy battle, the enemy will just appear, fade in 
onto the screen. There's no like loading time. There's no like big, you know, pomp and circumstance with music or anything like that. It just sort of appears. It fades into right what you're doing. So it it's great because it doesn't interrupt the flow of anything. And then you have to fight it. But you can you can walk around the screen as as you want. Do whatever you want. You can dodge their attacks if you're good enough. Even though this is technically a a turn based battle, because you have you have a gauge, a time gauge that will fill up. Again, that depends on stuff. That depends on your weapon and I think uh, various other things or whatever. You can also uh, later you can you can cast magic. The the magic system is basically like it's kind of like Final Fantasy white and green magic. It's like you know you can do cures and uh you can do like cast haste and uh that th those sorts of magics that's it nothing like no projectiles no offensive magic or anything like that um but you know so any but th that that's a little bit different that's a little bit later but so if you're just talking the strict battle you're waiting for your thing to fill up and then you can instantly attack and and while you're waiting for that to happen, you can be walking around. You can dodge their, the enemy's attacks. If you're good enough, you won't get even hit. Uh, it's it's so fun. It's so different. Very, very unique. I cannot say enough about how much I loved the battle system in this game. I loved it so much. So, 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 so fun. Um, so anyway, that's that's that is that part of it. I want to talk a little bit about the plot. Um, so the player uh, is this blonde lady and she is not like the most unique character design wise. She kind of has uh, I like I, to me, it feels like she's got T boss's hair from the like nineties from TLC. <laughs> um, yeah. Kind of. She's just blonde uh, with a very, yeah. very pale blue eyes. Um, I mean, she's very pretty, but you know, there's just not that much as far as costume goes. Um, she is, her name is Aya Brea. She's an NYPD rookie. And, uh, the entire freaking game, even though it does feel like Japanese in its storytelling and in its horror and stuff, the whole thing takes place in a very, like, realistic and uh like it, like factually correct for the most part new york city mm -hmm. the whole the whole thing is in new york city yeah, it's it such a different setting for an rpg like it's not some fantasy world and it's not japan it's like so so weird it does seem so japanese but it's it the whole thing takes place in nyc so what a freaking opening this game has this is like the mo one of the most legendary video game openings she's attending an opera she's on a date <laughs> that's what she's doing you yeah. get at carnegie hall like actually looks like carnegie hall all that stuff she goes to carnegie hall meets her date they're seeing this opera okay cool then uh, so you see the opera singer and then she's singing all of a sudden she meets eyes with Ayabrea and suddenly something changes in the opera singer her eyes start to become weird they start to get very strange looking like green stuff is entering the eye and like the the iris is no longer right and it the, the color is like like not round anymore and um and then all of a sudden everybody uh everybody around her starts to spontaneously catch on fire 
and they all just combust. And then everybody starts to scream and everybody's just running around, catching on fire one by one, trying to get out. And some of them, some of them make it, some of them only make it a few steps and then they catch on fire. And then like stuff starts to fall and, and like, it's just chaos. And the only one who's not really affected is our heroine. She is for some reason immune. And um, anyway, the, the lady sort of, you know, exits stage left and uh and and goes away and then we get to take control of aya and she um you know you get to look around and you get to do some stuff eventually you you see the lady and um you find her playing a piano and it plays a a movie there are a decent amount of cinematics throughout and she transforms she mutates and gets these really long arms and her legs go away and she's got this weird like crescent spike body thing that's coming out of the bottom of her dress kind of weird and she declares that her name is actually eve um and um there's some weird stuff going on and uh i mean people who remember this game i think the main word if you said what do you remember about the plot i think they'll they'll everybody who ever played this game will be able to say mitochondria 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 and uh for those of you who you know remember that word vaguely or kind of less than vaguely i don't know from science class way back in the day if you don't happen to know so mitochondria is real the the guy who wrote this was a parasite was a pharma psychologist not a parapsychologist a pharmacologist pharmacologist so he so like there's a lot in this that is factually scientifically correct there's a lot of the stuff when they're talking about things like like mitochondria not midichlorians but mitochondria um, it's all like true. So it, it's basically, there are these like strands of, there are these little things in the cell. Every cell has mitochondria. And I remember this term so vividly from, from high school. And they, they, they taught us that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell or like it controls the nucleus or powers the nucleus. The nucleus is the brain and the, and the mitochondria are the muscle basically of a cell. And, um, and, but they're separate creatures. They contain their own DNA. They're not really, they're, they're different than just a piece of us. They're like something else. There's like something that's symbiotically part of us and, and all living things or whatever. The, they just exist in cells. And that's all true. So what the story behind Parasite Eve is saying is the mitochondria basically is sentient and uh, wants to break free. And, uh, you know, like, like Freddie... Freddie Mercury wanted to, One, two, like, it's like that. That whole thing was yeah, just in like my that. head when you said that. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's similar to that. Um, and yeah, anyway, it's it's this bonkers story. Uh, it, once once the mitochondria can like awaken and be be uh, self aware, it can like mutate the hell out of whatever it's in. Yeah. And this Eve character, who's the main villain, uh, she has basically the power to awaken it in whatever she wants. So she can, she, in the first scenes made everybody catch on fire, but she starts to, you know, mutate some things as you go. The rat being the first later, there's also a dog that is very memorable. There's also a cinematic of this dog. Oh my God. The dog's head splits in half and then it becomes three heads. And there's this like massive, like toothed maw 
that appears like sort of where its shoulder would be. Like it's, I mean, it is so. It's so crazy. out there. Yeah, I like, mean the rat transformation. I remember vividly. Just oh, the layers God. of skin peeling back, yes, and then just yep. seeing like the blood and viscera under the rat's eyes, and then it just kind of all turns yep. into these like spiked mouth parts. Like you said, it's like it's, it's just so like the crazy, thing yeah. where it's like yeah, it just mutates, so and every yeah. little part mm -hmm. of it is like viable. You know, mm -hmm. it's like oh my god, yeah. what the hell? Yeah, and I mean everything's just horrible. Nothing again. Nothing transforms into just a nice, solid, finished creature. No, these are like just you know, partially eviscerated things with, you know, parts showing that you shouldn't be able to see and skin ripped off and shreds and, and all this, all this weird stuff. Uh, so very, very out there story. Very, very weird. Um, but great, just great. It has a satisfying conclusion. It's, it's really freaking awesome game. Uh, I wanted to, uh, dive real quick back into the the new york city setting so yeah it's it's it means you know it's a jrpg essentially but it's you know set in new york so crazy so these are some of the places that are actually featured in the game and uh there was a video that i watched um from this this lady who makes great videos uh she's the sphere hunter and she's was originally from new york and she was actually she's a big parasite eve fan she has videos on all three and uh the she was saying that it was amazing to her how accurate the depictions of so very many locations were. So it wasn't like they just, you know, this isn't Marvel war of the gems for super Nintendo. And you're at the Boston aquarium. Okay. This is right. uh, the new England <laughs> aquarium. This is, <laughs> this actually like looks like the place that it's supposed to be. Um, so we have Carnegie hall as, as I mentioned, there's also the, the American museum of natural history, Central Park, Chinatown, the Chrysler Building, NYPD, Soho, St. Francis Hospital, Statue of Liberty, and there are more that I didn't bother writing down everything. Um, really cool, very unique, very different. Um, also, when you get to um, the end of the game, uh, you're able to, uh, you find this guy right before you like go do the final battle. There's this guy and he's like, hey, um, if you want, I can engrave your name on your favorite weapon and your favorite piece of armor. And I remember doing this like distinctly and um, and you take, you know, your favorite ones, whatever, and you can just type in a name and then you give it to him and he's like, OK, here you go. And then it changes the name forever permanently of those two things. So if you want it to be like, oh, this is like the parasite gun and the parasite, you know, vest or whatever, then that's what they're called. Um, and at first it seems like, why did I do that? Who knows? But what happens is when you beat the game that first time, uh, you're able to start the EX game and you start with those two things in your inventory. New game plus. Yeah. It's a new game plus version basically, but it's, you know, so they call it the EX game. And so it's great. So, you know, not only are you armed with the knowledge of what to do, but now you can play through the whole entire game with the best weapon and the best armor in the game and it's just freaking cool but the 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 big reason to do it is because there's actually a final level and a final true boss that is only in the ex game and i have to admit i never did it i only beat the game the one time and um i never actually played through the ex game i was going to and i wanted to and i just never did 
Um, so the, the Chrysler building is actually the final new level and you have to ascend its floors. And at the very top, you fight the, the, the true final boss, who is, uh, a, another version of Eve called true bread Eve. And, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I never got to do that. Um, the final thing I will say about Parasite Eve one is the composer because the music in this game is truly notable. It's uh, Yoko Shinmamura, who also wrote the soundtracks for Kingdom Hearts 1, Super Mario RPG, the Mario Luigi series, Parasite Eve, uh, Legend of Mana, and Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, pretty cool. She's pretty prolific. She's done some really great soundtracks. Um, the Parasite Eve soundtrack is... It's just so incredibly unique. Like my God, it's like it combines, it combines opera and smooth jazz and atmospheric soundscapes. Like we were talking about, like Mm -hmm. there's just all different things that this, this game gives you. And the most insane thing to me, to me, the, the song that I remember the most as I was going back and listening to everything was the battle song. Cause obviously you hear the battle so much. Yeah, the game. So this track is called Arise Within You. It is so great and so incredibly different from every other battle music that I can that I can think of. Like, what do you think of with a battle music? What is it supposed to do? It's supposed to hype you up, right? Right. Like every every game, like think of any Final Fantasy battle music, you know, in an RPG or any that kind of thing. It's always like fanfare and bombast and trumpets and like all sorts of you know oh get get hyped get hyped this just isn't trying to get you hyped it's like it's almost as if it's like trying to cool you down it's a calm it's down it's so chill it is the weirdest like most opposite battle music it's so insane and it like 100% works it really it does 100% gives this game like such identities. There's so many things about this game that are so different and so successful. And truly, Yoko Shinmamura's soundtrack is 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 one of the things for sure. I mean, it really, really is so cool. Um, so anyway, that's all I'll say about that. Um, Parasite Eve, um, an incredible game. Unfortunately, it's not available on modern systems. If you have a PS3, it used to be available at on the store. Um, and I did actually have it for the PS3, but I think at this point you either gotta have it on the PS3 or you gotta kinda, you know, get a PS1 or you know, get the actual game and actually play it, the the physical copy. But honestly, yep. it is a it is just a fantastic, fantastic game. I would dare say perfect game. The um the 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 only downside I remember thinking at the time when I played it, the only downside is that I, I wished it was longer. It's not an especially long game. It's like an eight, eight, nine hour game. It's not it's not very long. But so that it's perfect technically to play through it twice. I really wish I had. Um back in the day, yeah. back in the Disney. Yeah, I remember. Oh you yeah, that's right. That. You know what I forgot to mention? This game does not have load times when you go from room to room. It's somehow able to to deal with it. I don't know how. Yeah, it just does it really seamlessly. I mean, Unless there's like a, just like a time. half second 
every time there's a screen, but there's no like big loading yeah. time for anything. So anyway, that's I just thought that was pretty cool. But Ayabrea is awesome, and uh, even yeah, though she she's is. she's just got the T boss hair, I, I I love her. Hell yeah! I mean, T boss hair is not you know not a reason to dislike someone. No, certainly um, not. Certainly I not T boss. Certainly not Ayabrea. Certainly not. Uh, this is technically uh, the first in a trilogy, like you said, and uh, the other two games are so different. The second game playing much more like a Resident Evil game. Clearly, they felt yeah. the pressure to not make another of their very unique, very noteworthy, very worthwhile game, and instead try to keep up with the Joneses and uh, and make a a you know tank controlling kind of survival horror game. Yeah. And I mean. You know, whatever the game has its fans. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put it on blast, but I do think it is a shame. So um, it, it wasn't originally supposed to be Parasite Eve two at all. It was supposed to be the originally the idea was going to be let's do a Resident Evil game in the Parasite Eve world, not starring Aya. It was originally supposed to be starring a, a dude who they relegated to be her love interest in the game later, when they after they retrofitted it. Wow. Um, so it, it wasn't actually supposed to be a Parasite Eve game. Um, it's supposed makes to make sense. It's supposed to be like, you know, the Gargoyles quest of the, the Ghosts and Goblins, mm -hmm. basically. Yep. Right. A spinoff in the, in the Parasite Eve world. Well, yeah. it would be a lot of years later they would do uh, the third birthday is all the game is called. It's yeah. just called the third birthday, but that game um, is, is Parasite Eve 3, and that was on the PSP. Uh, and again, I, I, I know very little about that game. I never got to play it. All I know is that it's really different and it's not what anybody wanted. And some people yeah. like it, but most people don't. Uh, but really the first Parasite Eve was lightning in a bottle and it never yeah. got recreated. I'd say like, like is the closest we have to another game. Like it maybe vagrant story. Like, no, I mean, vagrant stories, similar... another Oh, man, that was another super unique game. Like Squaresoft was on a roll. They were really like in that in that era, af right directly after FF7, they were releasing all these completely like big risk, totally unique games. Everyone came with a demo of one of the other games and yep. like they were just all over the map. And I feel like none of them ever happened ever again but this is definitely one of them vagrant story is another very unique game yeah and um, both of them had like spherical targeting systems and you could walk around the battlefield freely and mm -hmm. like there's there's some like similarities between the two of them but like they're so different and you know there's just really nothing else quite like parasite mm -hmm. eve and, and parasite eve just needs a freaking remake like please oh shit it you're, so does i mean come on you're giving us all these resident evil games just remake just the first one parasite eve one i mean come on that would yeah, be and, so and, freaking and don't great. jeopardize it don't fuck with it you know don't don't change the battle system no, don't change what made game. it work but right improve it make it longer make it bigger whatever yeah oh right. gosh yeah that'd be perfect that and and make aya a, the badass that she was in the first two games a big big complaint was that she was you know utterly not the same character in the third one and there is a a plot reveal later that basically it's because it's not even her so it's like every it, it pissed everybody off 17 ways to sunday right it's every like, possible no. thing they could have done they did and it just pissed everybody off on all the levels 
And there's there's such sexualization for her in that game where the first two games didn't do it at all. She was not a sexualized character. She was not wearing skimpy outfits or anything. But there's this like system in the third game where like her her clothes take damage and um, rip off to down to her underwear and like she Girl. never gets beat up like her body doesn't take damage she doesn't get scratched or bruised or anything like that it's just like no just her her outer layers of clothing down to her bra and panties will get ripped off as you play and it's just like really though like that's a little is that what this game over needed the top and and she's like... just not a sexualized character she's not no, like she's a fucking supposed... cop She's yeah, she's supposed cop. to be a badass cop, and she was a badass in that first game for sure. And uh, even you know, in the second one, from what I understand, but in the third one, she's just like pathetic. So, um, and the game, the game introduced a whole new type of way of controlling and moving and battling, and everything about it is completely, totally different. And honestly, the mitochondria stuff is really only in that first game, and Normally, I would say, cool, don't keep retreading the stuff. But the, the thing I didn't get into with the plot is that she also has some mitochondria powers. That's the that's where she could do like the, the whole white and green magic thing. Yeah. Um, and so it, you know, it, it does factor in very deeply to her character. So, I mean, you know, what? I'm OK with it just being a single one off perfect game and pretending that the two sequels don't exist. I think that that's fine. Yeah. Um, but damn, do I want a remake? Oh, my, oh my God. God. Give, give me a remake like you've been re remaking all these old, awesome, you know, Resident Evil games. Please. Come on. That yeah. Would be so great. Yeah. I would love to see that from Square. Okay. Yeah. They, they definitely got to try some 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 different tactics. I think they definitely feel the pressure to try and make games that appeal to the masses because the games they make are crazy expensive. Um, and I don't know. I feel like, you know, to an extent they've been doing right by a lot of series, but also to another extent, there's, there's a lot of room that, you know, other ones could be benefiting, but yeah. Hey, you know, yeah. whatever. We can't have everything, I guess. Yeah. Is sure. what it is. Um, okay, cool. So I, yeah. uh, I want to do a little bit of, uh, honorable mentions too, cause there was a, a handful that I didn't get to talk about and, awesome. uh, I'd like to, to mention. So, uh, one of the ones I really wanted to pick was monster in my pocket, um, for the NES. Uh, yes, awesome a, one. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah. It's a super duper fun Konami game based on the collectible toys of the, uh, of the what, early nineties, late eighties. Yeah um yeah, and I think, uh, I think i think late 80s early 90s somewhere in there yeah yeah and uh the game allows you to play as either frankenstein or i should say the the creature the monster uh or uh or vampire and uh and you uh start the game you pick one of your two characters and it is a i mean okay it's it's konami on the nes so it is like mm -hmm. peak awesome game peak awesome game like quality the music's outstanding graphics are super huge awesome well animated tons of fun different monsters all sorts of different references to different monsters like spring hill jack and all these other you know kind of bigfoot the kraken gremlins medusa i mean there's just there's all, all over the place all of which were pulled from the monsters in my pocket toys which that was their whole deal was to be little you know little toys that represented all these different folklore creatures which is just you know an endlessly fun concept yes. um 
and uh and the game is just honestly really damn fun it's uh it can be co-op you can play two players with a friend you each control a different guy uh you have some you know both characters feel you know pretty similar to play they have like a good ranged punch attack and they can jump and uh and whatnot uh they do a great job of of scaling your characters so like they're huge on screen but they make the levels the details are so big that it feels like you're really small so you'll be in a kitchen and the kitchen chair is like you know 10 times the size of you because you're just so tiny uh and they do like all sorts of different stuff playing with scale like that which is i i, I think it's super fun it's one of my super favorite fun. it's like it's like a chip and dale games yeah yeah chip and dale rescue rangers for nes yeah is what it's, it reminds me of it's so cute and it turns such a mundane scenario into like a big you know wondrous environment and it's just i i really yeah. love that it's like a thing i love about pikmin it's a thing i loved with chibi robo with uh you know a lot of games they do a great job just kind of like doing that um i mean everyone's favorite world in mario 3 it's the big world yeah, I was literally that. thinking the same yeah. thing yeah it's like it's fun it's just it's a fun gimmick so everybody's I, favorite level in mario 3 is world 4 i mean like absolutely yeah no, no question about it uh so yeah this game is really a lot of fun and i just was you know really focusing on games that have a horror theme that are not a scary game and i played the crap out of monster in my pocket honestly like it was so much of uh, a formative kind of konami game experience on the nes and it is just all horror themed it's all monsters and and you know they don't have to do anything graphic uh mm. so i i loved that game and uh still still heavily recommend and they that looked one. like um, mostly looked like the toys like you could if you were a big fan of the toys you could you knew who each character on the game was like the enemies and stuff and the bosses like you you got it like i remember like Yep. understanding yep oh yep that's that guy oh yep that's that guy absolutely 100 percent. yeah remember the, the the kraken boss is, is like so yep. fun yeah with the um, big buck teeth yep and he looks exactly like the toy i mean they did exactly. such a good job really yep. fun yeah yep so i uh, definitely had to mention that one uh another one that occurred to me that man i'm glad i didn't forget to at least mention it is uh the Game for the TurboGrafx 16 Devil's Crush. Um, oh, this is a yeah. pinball game, but there is no doubt in my mind that this is a horror game. No, I mean, yeah. there is so many, you know, really wild imagery that's in Devil's Crush. Um, mm -hmm. It was developed by Compile. It was published by Naxat Soft, uh, and it Gotta, came out. I love Compile. They're just I know. great. They're so They're freaking great. awesome. Uh, but it's a pinball game. It's a pinball game yeah. that has three tiers. Uh, you have a, a low, middle, and high play field, each with bumpers. There's all sorts of different things that you're aiming for. There's little, um, you know, ghouls and dragons and skeletal soldiers. And there's a giant face in the middle of a sleeping woman that you gradually wake up more and more and you bring her more and more to life. And then she mutates and turns into a hideous, you know, reptilian you know, just creature uh, as you keep going. Um, there are bonus levels that have you fighting, you know, a, a huge trio of skull faces with just bloodshot red eyeballs and just all kinds of pulsating, you know, whatever all around it. Um, the very top level has what looks kind of like a skeletal, uh, you know, 
kind of knight or something face that's looking down on you onto a pentagram that's spinning around and there's a a ring of cultists that walk around <laughs> yes, it and you have I to love hit that screen. Yeah. Yeah, that screen's so great. I mean, my god, this game is so fun and yep. s- does such a great job going nuts with the horror theme. Um yep. it really is a spectacle for the eyes. It's it's great and the music's excellent and uh yeah, all the different kind of bonus rooms and things that you gain access to and stuff like that. Um, horror, horror galore. It's it's really, really quite fun. So I have to mention that one. Uh, a game that I am not terribly familiar with, but I know has a lot of mix, has made a lot of buzz in like some kind of horror circles is a, a horizontal shooter for the Genesis called Gynoog. Uh, G-Y-N-O-U-G. Gainug, uh, oh. also localized as Wizard of War, um, has you, or I'm sorry, not Wizard of War. That's that's the old game. It's Wings of War, spelled W-O-R. Uh, this game has you playing as a angel that has come down from heaven to basically destroy the you know legions of hell. Um, the game has some of the craziest goddamn boss designs I've ever seen, and uh, and some of the I've most never impressive. Even heard of this? Check this out. Look up the boss sprites yeah. for Gino. They're insane. They're yeah. like crazy techno body horror, like faces grafted onto trains, and like human, you know, hearts combined with a steam engine and a, a face that's kind of like just all drawn out with a spine sticking out the bottom and this one terror train thing that just looks like a demented body with no arms and honestly the bottom just looks like a massive dick like it's just a big fucking looks penis. like a big ribbed cock with with and with an eye it's got an yeah, eye it's got an eye like it, right it on can the top. see what it's doing it knows where you sleep uh-huh. The uh, there's also a guy that's just hunched over, but he's in a, a a room that's like all pink and red with tons of like veiny blood vessel looking things all over the place. I mean, it's it's really wild. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's fucking out there. And uh, and what's really kind of insane is that the game has uh, whoever owns the right to this game has clearly been doing uh, their their work and has been putting it out on like everything. So you can pick it up on the PS4 and and uh, Steam and and the Switch. For like seven bucks, you can just own Gainug di- digitally. Uh, wow. It's pretty neat. That's um, crazy. I I remember I added this game to the to the Genesis Classic um, because I really wanted to check it out, but I hadn't gotten to. But yeah, Wings of War is uh, also what it was localized outside of Japan. Um, but yeah, there's they've stuck with the Gainug title, G Y N O U G. Uh, but like I don't know, man. I just feel like I gotta mention that it's like some of the craziest yeah. right artwork I've ever seen. Awesome monster stuff! It's My God, really wild. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one that I will I will leave off with that's an honorable mention is uh Medieval for the PlayStation. Oh yeah, because a totally you know fun wacky adventure game that has you know horror all laced throughout it but instead of it being scary it's just like super endearing you know it's like your play as sir dan fortescue and he's like was this supposed awesome hero guy who just like died really embarrassingly in the very first like battle that he was in like he was supposed to be this like super legendary warrior and he just ate shit like right away and he died and then got revived later because people were like hey what the hell you said that you were top you know tough shit and that you were (laughs) 
gonna protect us and now our our whole kingdom is like actually screwed and totally overrun by you know demons and uh and you know it's time for you to like actually do what you <laughs> claimed you could do <laughs> so you like start the game and uh you don't even have a proper weapon you actually rip off your left arm and just swing it around at guys until you actually get a proper weapon <laughs> and then you, you know you later on you get all sorts of different stuff you get uh different swords you get crossbows you get axes and they all have like different attack power different swing swing speed and range and all this other stuff <gasps> Um, <clears throat> I didn't play much of the original PlayStation, but what I did play is um, uh, me and Mrs. Apit got the PlayStation 4 remake of Medieval for the uh, you know PS4 and PS5, and uh, that game is really, really, really pretty. I mean, the, I I honestly don't know of you know aside from the the Spyro reignited trilogy, um, this Medieval remake is like like those two are neck and neck for the best remakes I've ever played. They are perfect. Wow. They are they are the original game. It's not like Final Fantasy VII remake where it's like, okay, it's a remake, but it's like it is a reimagining. Like we are we are changing just about everything other than large narrative parts. You know, Final Fantasy VII remake is not a straight remake. Medieval and the Spyro Reignited trilogy, those are perfect remakes their graphics are fantastic but all the levels all the spaces the way the game plays the way it feels it's like all how you remember it it's all mm. classic and that's just personally like as a fan of stuff getting remakes that's what i want i don't want you to go in a wildly different direction i'm okay with that but i don't really want to call that a remake that's a reboot you know that's different so uh medieval is awesome and honestly it goes on sale all the time i'm pretty sure i bought our copy for ten dollars from like best buy or something and uh it's it's such a looker it really is so pretty and they did and they did a lot of work you know to upgrade all the kinds of stuff and you go back and you look at the playstation one original and it's like oh my god look at all those polygons they're so pointy you know mm. like everything is so so different from how you remember it um, but yeah, seeing seeing the remake, it's it feels yeah, like well, oh yeah. This I is saw a side by side comparison the other day after you were talking about this, and like I literally could not believe how it used to look. <laughs> no, it's it's so insane. Like that oh, that game even. God. I know, I know. Oh man, but uh, yeah, I I really like the that medieval remake. I I hope that they do a second one. Um, and uh and it's it's worth your time i i think that it sony did a good job there they really did i wish i wish nice. more could get that option yeah. but uh but regardless um you know carrying right on through so that'll do it for my my honorable mentions uh and the the final game of the night is this the final game of the yeah. night yeah this is it. oh shit oh my god okay wow we did we're doing it we're doing it um final game is uh it's one part obvious game that a lot of people know and one part game that probably not many people know, uh, but they are related and you might be confused. Uh, so the game that I am doing is for the Super Nintendo. It is called Ghoul Patrol. Ghoul Patrol is a run and gun video game developed by LucasArts and published by JVC Musical Industries for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System in 1994. You might be like, okay. That doesn't mean jack shit to me. 
But what does mean jack shit to you is it is a sequel to the 1993 game Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Oh, okay. We know that game, right? Zombies Ate My Neighbors. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't know that game. Uh, that and Ghoul Patrol were actually released recently as part of a Lucasfilm Classic Games collection that has Zombies Ate My Neighbors and Ghoul Patrol for the Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and Windows in 2021, which is super fun. I love that those games have a modern, modern, uh, you know, kind of way to play them. And it's yeah. like 15, 15 bucks and they're both available. Um, so focusing on Ghoul Patrol, the game stars Zeke and Julie, the protagonist from Zombies Ate My Neighbors, who must travel through five worlds to save their town from a horror exhibit come to life. Now, I used to rent this game all the time. I did have certain games that I would just like rent because they were comfortable. Like it was like, oh, I love that game. I'll just rent it again. And I, I it's not like I could beat it. You know, I couldn't get super far. But I just had fun with it. And I used to rent Ghoul Patrol all the damn time. And honestly, I really never rented Zombies Ain't My Neighbors because I thought the graphics on Ghoul Patrol just looked better. And mm -hmm. I kind of just liked the style more. So I just gravitated towards that. And that was what I rented. Um, also, the box art, I think, helped a lot too. I didn't really like the box art for Zombies Ain't My Neighbors. I know it's really iconic. But uh, the Ghoul Patrol box art just kind of told me a bit more about the game. I honestly wouldn't have known really that Zombies Ain't My Neighbors was a, a shooter game based on the cover. I would have thought it was maybe like a point-and-click adventure game or something. It just seems so abstract with the lady screaming and the spirally mm -hmm. background art. It's like, what is this? Uh, but so uh, for Ghoul Patrol, I actually transcribed the intro because I really love doing that. I've done that a few times in the past, and I, I love getting to read to you verbatim uh <laughs> how the intro plays out so it starts with zeke he goes check it out dudes there's a cool exhibition about ghosts and demons of the dark ages at the library and then julie says come on zeke let's go look out zeke there's something happening to the chest Z so if for you for those of you who can't see they they go to the exhibit and there's this this mystical chest there for all zeke of them says, can't all of them can't see okay okay so so for all of you who can't for see, everybody this, yes let me let me let me set the scene further uh <laughs> zeke says no problem julie it's just some sort of special effect this exhibit is totally rad julie says i don't know zeke i have a funny feeling about this hmm now this book looks very old what do you think's inside i don't know only one way to find out Look at this, Zeke. It's a phrase. It says, and now this is the book. It's in a different text color, so you know mm -hmm. this is the book's perspective. It says, <laughs> to you, the reader, best beware of ghosts and demons everywhere. All kinds and sizes, short and tall, fat, skinny, big and small. But don't worry or run away. Ghosts and demons just want to play. To play, they need a boy and girl so these new friends can join this world. To invite them over, say this line, it is ghosts and demons time. But first, no. practice and rehearse, for you must say it in reverse. Cool. This is fresh, man. Let's say it together. Okay, whatever you say, Zeke. Zeke is an idiot. Zeke is a fucking dumbass. And then together, they say it in reverse. Emit snowmed, dinast sog, CT. Then Julie says, what's happening, Zeke? Then... This scene that always scared the crap out of me 
happened because there is a scene of the two of them looking at this treasure chest and then after they see after they say the line in the in reverse the chest bursts open and there's this like huge honestly like fairly scary demon it's like this it's like a skeleton face with really really long sharp teeth and these wide eyes that have these like floating eyeballs in them and just these big long spikes coming out of its head and its head's all cracked and Mm. i i remember that this this shot always did actually kind of scare me like it was really creepy it doesn't last very long um but it it was creepy it was a it was a good you know good jumper uh and a demon pops out and says uh I have waited so long for somebody to release me. Now I can conquer all the different time dimensions with the help of my minions. What have we done? We're doomed. No way, man. I'm going to fight this ugly demon dude and send him back to his freaky dimension. I'm with you, Zeke. Eh. Like super awesome motivation. Julie, come on. Stand up for yourself. Zeke's a fucking dumbass. Like just kick this dude to the curb. He's stupid. I don't know if he's your brother. But Julie, like, you're... You're player you're, one in my book. Yeah, you're you're better than this dork. Um, so yeah, the game lets you pick as either Zeke or Julie. They both play the same. It is uh, able to be two-player co-op, which is super fun. It is a top-down shooter game. Um, you know, I guess similar to something like Smash TV, but uh, instead of it being like a fixed screen that you can see all of, you the screen scrolls as you move around. Uh, you roam around shooting all sorts of ghosts and monsters and possessed objects and all kinds of different creatures. Uh, You collect new weapons and ammo as well as med packs and keys to open doors. Um, Weapons that you can get, you you start with uh, a crossbow, you can get some different kinds of blasters, some different kinds of guns, uh, some that lob bombs, some that are kind of slightly homing. All kinds of different stuff. Uh, the goal of every level, if you're familiar with Zombies Ate My Neighbors, it is the same. Uh, you have to rescue all of the victims in and reach the level uh, exit. So you'll start a level. It'll say that there's 10 victims. Uh, you'll see from off screen, there'll be speech bubbles that kind of fly in. And they'll say, help me over here. I need help or, you know, whatever. And so they're all just like this very comic style speech bubbles that'll kind of fly in from off screen. And that'll tell you in the direction of where the victim is. So you're trying to go in and save them all. But if you take too long, enemies will kill them. Um, so you want to get all the re- all the victims. And then after collecting them all, the, the exit for the level opens up. It'll materialize and you can go to the go to the exit uh which also has kind of like speech bubble-esque indicators they fly off screen it says exit exit um and so you know that's kind of the the long and short of it for each level uh once in a while in levels you will find a magic potion uh a lot of the items that you pick up just go into an inventory so you can like use lnr to kind of cycle through it but if you find the potion and you drink it it turns you into the fucking grim reaper uh, which it was my favorite part of the game, uh, and it let you fly around super fast and swing your your scythe and just kill anything. And uh, oh, zombies and my neighbors, your partner Dosi Do, swing your partner Dosi Do. No, okay. No. Uh, in Zombies Ain't My Neighbors, there's also a potion, but instead of turning you into the Grim Reaper, it turns you into a giant purple, like mutant, like a goofy, fuzzy. I, actually, 
No, he's badass. He's he's really Mute. cool looking. I I love the big monster. You Is he? About. I haven't seen him in a long time. Oh no, he's really cool. He's not fuzzy. He's Zombies. really cool. Okay. Well, anyway, um, there's the the Grim Reaper transformation, which is super cool. Um, he's furry. Is he? Yeah he he looks like a he looks like kind of like a werebear. Like he's like a purple werebear. Okay. Um, but he's cool. Um. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so that's a thing. The Grim Reaper is uh really cool. Um, Ghoul Patrol also added the ability to jump and slide with changed up movement a bit from Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Um, and in addition to that, each world of the game is based off of completely different eras in time. Um, you start the game in a local neighborhood. You're going through libraries, books, shops, you know, cafes, whatever. Uh, and then the second world is feudal Japan. Um, because if you remember the demon from the beginning, he's going to conquer all of the time dimensions. So we got, we got to go after him. We got to go through all those time dimensions. Uh, so yeah, feudal Japan. Uh, then the third time dimension, everybody knows the time dimension of the Caribbean. Um, and then, uh, fourth, we have castles, you know, medieval Europe and all that shit. And then the final, final, you know, level is a hell. It's just like it's just hell. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's I mean it's hell Cincinnati, but I mean it's, <laughs> it's hell Sinky. Um, this game, honestly, historically, has been panned in comparison to its predecessor uh, due to its much shorter length, only having seventeen total stages versus Zombies Ate My Neighbors forty. Uh, wow. Also. Ghoul Patrol, like I said, added jumping and sliding and all that other stuff, uh, which begot the use of pitfalls and things that you had to jump over. And so the platforming was kind of un unforgiving. And uh, and overall, the weapon selection was a little bit lamer. Um, people really liked the weapons, how kind of slapped together they were in Zombies Ate My Neighbors. They just felt a little bit more creative. Uh, but you know what? I don't care because all that being said... Ghoul Patrol was the game that I played first, and it was the mm. game that I was drawn to at the rental store, and I didn't have comparisons. I didn't have a, this was better, that was better, yada yada. I just played it for what it was, and I really liked this game. I played it all the time, and um, you know, like I said, the art direction was a bit more detailed, a bit more, you know, kind of focused, and uh, Zeke, they gave him a hat instead of, and, uh, and I don't think, I don't think he still had 3d glasses he might have still had 3d glasses uh i don't know they can't really get rid of that you know you can take the kid out of the 80s but you can't take the yeah, 80s out of the kid he's still got the glasses yeah he's still got them um so all this is really interesting because ghoul patrol didn't start off as a sequel to zombies ate my neighbors ghoul patrol was originally a completely unrelated game that just happened to use the same engine as Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Developer Mike Ebert recalls, I never really understood that project. No one approached him or, uh, about doing a Zombies Ate My Neighbors sequel. And when we first saw the game, it was a unique product, not related to Zombies Ate My Neighbors at all. Uh, him and his cohort, Dean, Dean and I were uh, heads down working, heads down working on Metal Warriors, uh, which is a, really neat super nintendo game by lucas uh lucas film games uh, LucasArts. It, yeah lucas arts it's similar to uh cybernator 
uh, if you guys know Cybernator, the Konami mech uh, side-scroller. Um, but yeah, he said that they were working all the time on Metal Warriors, and then one day they find out that this random game suddenly has Zeke and Julie in it, and that out of nowhere they changed it into a Zombies Ate My Neighbors sequel. Uh, so I've always been confused about this game, and I felt that someone in management just changed it to be a sequel in the last minute to hope that it would sell better, but I had almost no involvement in that process. Hmm. So it's pretty wild. The guy who yeah. made Zombies Ate My Neighbors did not have anything to do with Ghoul Patrol, and Ghoul Patrol was actually partially uh, developed by LucasArts, but then it was also um, co-developed by like a Malaysian developer that was someone that like people had people had worked with a bit too. The uh, called Motion Pixel. Um, it's just really weird. Like this game, honestly, probably shouldn't exist a- mm. as it is. And then someone at the last minute was like, "Ah, make it, make it a zombies ate my neighbors thing." You know, that that'll sell better. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. They they could have been right. Uh, mm. Who knows? But uh, I I do think the game is a lot of fun. I I will say that you know I've played I've played both, and I think Zombies Ate My Neighbors is a bit tighter controlling which i think is the best part of it zombies ain't my neighbors i think controls much more you know solidly whereas ghoul patrol is a little bit slidey it's a little bit slippery um which is not you know ideal it's not awful uh but i think the controls are definitely where the first one is is really strong uh also ghoul patrol has bosses every world ends in a big boss fight whereas zombies ain't my neighbors doesn't exclusively really do that you know there's just 40 levels that you play front to back um it does change up some of the themes in the first one there's like you know egypt level and neighborhood and all this other stuff but then there's certain levels where there's like alien invaders there's certain levels where there's giant babies that are terrorizing the town there's certain levels where there's a chainsaw maniac who's just like buzzing down the chain uh these hedges that you're trying to run away from so it does you know have lots of good tropes lots of you know reverence for an era of film that ghoul patrol isn't necessarily going for ghoul patrol i think is just going for like an all-purpose like spooky creepy hoary this that whatever um whereas zombies ain't my neighbors was like we're gonna pay homage to some movies here um so i think that's definitely a big plus to zombies as well um but you know whatever play them both and decide for yourself which one you like better um but yeah, I, I really wanted to to be able to highlight Ghoul Patrol because it is just never a favorable part of the conversation. It is largely forgotten to time. And, um, you know, I really wouldn't be surprised if most people didn't even know that there was a sequel to Zombies Ate My Neighbors because it wasn't called Zombies Ate My Neighbors 2. Um, so right, pretty neat, right. pretty interesting, and uh, and you know wanted to just kind of offer that up to you guys. But uh, yeah, that Lucasfilms collection is out there. If you guys are interested in uh, checking the games out, they're available on everything, and uh, and that's kind of you know kind of the best way to do it, which is fun. Wish there was a few more games included, but for fifteen bucks, two games, it's not that bad. It's mm-hmm. really not bad. They're they're pretty long, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's all it right. right there. Pretty fucking sweet. All right. So we wrapped up the episode and I got one more little thing. You want you want to send us into it? We do. We do. Uh do we 
we'll just do some we'll do some commercials you know we got to do we got to do commercials okay. and then uh and then when we come back from the commercials rather than it being an octoponder because all of you here you already listened to part one i know you did and because i know you did you know that the octoponder was there yes so if you're curious about the octoponder it's in part one it's like part- super obvious now it's very clear so it's very clear. clear yeah it's crystal clear but in this episode, we're going to come back from the commercials and we're just going to go right into the B segment. So uh, so let's do that. Let's break for some commercials. Stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to have a sweet B segment. According to the clock, it's half past 13. So light a candle, uncork that cask of Amontillado, and dust off another tome from the bookshelf of the damned. Yes, I have a bookshelf of the damned for you tonight. And uh, this is a book that I've been, I just recently finished. I've been reading it for a little bit, uh, or listening to it actually, as it were, um, which is just a really great way to experience this. And I'll tell you why. So the book is called Fright Night Origins, and it is written by Tom Holland, who is the original writer and director of Fright Night, as well as Child's Play. The book is also written by A. Jack Ulrich. Just one of them. And um, this book, what it actually is, is Tom Holland uh, is going back and he's like, you know, uh, I really like that Fright Night movie I made. People seem to like that movie. Um, I'm going to go back and I want to write that into a novel, but add a bunch of crap that you couldn't fit possibly in this, you know, two and a half hour movie. So that's really what this is. It's if you're a fan of the movies, or the movie, the original movie, uh, like it's it's that it he wrote it into a novel and he did it honestly a fantastic job like it really really reads well, um, and uh, and there's a bunch of stuff that is added so this is sort of like the director's cut of the movie but you know the movie is two and a half hours long this this book is like you know ten hours long or, or eight hours long or something like that. I mean, it's like very expanded. You get a lot of stuff with uh, my man, Jerry Dandridge, one of the coolest vampires of all time by far. Uh, A lot of his origin stuff, like what he really is, where he came from, how old he is, you know, his original name, how he became a vampire, why he's as strong as he is, all these things. You get some of the some of the plot lines, the movies were were, was a little bit like, you know, there's a lot of stuff worked in. And uh, some of it didn't really get expanded, I think, as 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 much as Tom would have liked. Uh, one of those things, if you remember back in the movie where uh, the lady Amy, who's the you know the the girl in it, played by Amanda Beers, she's um there's a there's a portrait that that Jerry has of a woman who is clearly, you know, she looks like Amy. She looks like Amanda Beers, and um, there's not really. It doesn't really have a bearing on anything. It just sort of is there. Uh, the character Charlie Brewster notices it early, and then later, later, you know, Dandridge has a one like one line about it when he talks to Amy. He's like, "Oh yeah, that was somebody I used to know a long time ago," and and it sort of like feels like kind of random. Like, why is that even in there? But in the book, like, it gets expanded and explained, and um, it's really cool. So anyway, I I recommend absolutely picking up fright night origins in any of its forms but if you happen to be an audiobook lover and you have audible um you're in for a treat because 
the audiobook is actually read by Chris Sarandon himself, uh, Mr. Jerry Dandridge himself. And he uh, does a, a really good job. And I loved listening to this. And the surprising thing is at the end, it's it's left with a slightly different ending than the movie got. And that is because uh, Tom Holland decided that he actually wanted to write two more. So this is actually the first in a planned trilogy. And according to his social media accounts, Tom says that he is almost done with book two. So um, pretty cool. This book came out uh, September 2022. And I don't know when the next one's going to be coming out or what it's going to be called, but I am honestly looking forward to it quite a bit. So uh, check it out. Fright Night Origins, especially if you are a Fright Night fan or fanatic in my case. Um, it's just it was just incredibly fun. And it's an excuse to go back and watch the movie again and, and like compare and contrast and stuff like that. So anyway, that's your bookshelf for the damned. It's uh, not video game related, but it is horror related. So I did that. Sure is. Does that 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 work for you, Mister Mister Bit? Absolutely, it works for me. That's super <laughs> right. fun. I love that it's narrated by by uh, Sarandon himself. I mean, my God, yeah. that couldn't make it more fun. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. A lot of people out yeah. there love Friday Night, so that's a great yeah. one uh, to recommend. Awesome guys. Gals, retroids of all shapes, sizes, ages, creeds. Just so you know, we recorded these back to back and we didn't plan this. And it is currently 12 midnight right now. It is. It is. It's insane. This is the first ever unprecedented two parter, four hours of horror game nonsense yes. that we broke into two episodes <laughs> to save your your sorry hides from having to sit through all of this in one blow because we know you would have <laughs> we know you would have done it we're trying to help you out man we're not doing this for us um so uh thank you thank you so extremely much um for for listening for checking us out for tuning in uh and uh if you haven't jumped by ship now you're probably never gonna i mean jesus <laughs> just listen to us talk to about obscure horror shit for four hours horror video games and whatnot uh but we really hope that you enjoyed this week's two-part journey over the treacherous waters of all the things that made growing up awesome if you liked what you heard please hit the subscribe button follow us on facebook and twitter like review rate us positively on good pods or pinecast or apple podcast or wherever the hell you can please it helps us so much and it would be greatly appreciated if you guys could give back and just let us know that you like what we're doing uh it would mean the world to us uh, so per usual as well as being part of the inebriate podcast network inebriart sorry i kind of i kind of it's late through that it's very it's, it's very late as well as being part of the <laughs> Inebriart Podcast Network, Retro Redoctopus is a full-fledged member of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So if you get a chance, please check out our sister shows like Epic Tales from the Sewers, Comics, Paradise, or sorry, Paradox, Splash Pages, Shark Bites, The Wicked Horror Show, That Strange Show, and Hooked on Movies. I don't know why I just became from like... You're like... In- minnesota <laughs> donuts from minnesota <laughs> the strange show i became coach z <laughs> they their wicked horror show hey hooked and movies tacking games in tech nerds of unusual origin you know it's real coach z the yes, fuck out of it i, I know i know right there <laughs> 
for more information or to subscribe to us or any of these great shows, please visit thedorkening.com. And be sure to check out our killer sponsors, Deadly Grounds Coffee. That's coffee to die for. I've been your... Every time. I've been your host, Ape and Alchemy, and I thank you. And we will see you next time. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.